everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today for our No Stupid Questions podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences, or CNIS, at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Bowen, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. So I'm going to turn it on you, Kim. Um, what is the last book that you read, or what are you reading right now? Such a good question. Well, I have to say I kind of um, made a mad dash through The Other Mother by Kate Hewitt, and I finished it last night. Such a page turner. And I'm also reading Outliers for one of the classes that I'm teaching. Oh, cool. Um, all right. So my next question is when was the last time that you made a book not like authored a chapter in a book but actually constructed a book so okay never i mean i think i might have (laughs) done one like drawn one out and colored it in with my crayons in second or third grade but making a book not so much me either but our next guest um has and like who's done that? I didn't even. I can't even. But we're going to talk to her about these processes because most of us, like you're right, we maybe drew out a book, um, cut it with some scissors, um, folded some paper in second or third grade, but not much after that. Right. And I knew that book arts existed as a discipline, but I truly did not understand the creativity plus research plus construction skills that go into this process. And as researchers, we often have conversations about what journal we want to target to disseminate our findings. But like, what if we actually had to create the vehicle for sharing our scholarship? I I truly can't imagine it. Actually, I can't either. And this is why our conversation today with Dr. Sarah Bryant, an assistant professor in the School of Library and Information Studies, who creates vehicles for sharing scholarship is so interesting. She also creates the content for the books she makes, and she has shared her scholarship in a variety of places from New Zealand to Marseille and museums in the, from the New York Public Library and many other places around the country. We'll learn so much more about these processes and the area within library studies in today's conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. A huge welcome to you. joining us today for our weekly episode of No Stupid Questions. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences and I'm Dr. at the University Mullen, of an Alabama. Assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama. And we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. Today, we're going to be talking to our next researcher and scholar in the area of book arts. That's right. And book uh, during the next 20 to 30 minutes, we'll be talking with Sarah Bryant, an assistant professor in the School of Library and Information Studies in the College of Communication and Information Sciences, about her creative activity. 
how it applies to everyday life and how working from home has affected her work for good or for bad. (laughs) I am so excited to be talking with Sarah today because she is a book artist and a scholar. Fun fact to get us started. Sarah's work can be found in a lot of amazing places, including the Library of Congress and the New York Public Library. I think that is really cool. So welcome, Sarah. Um, So we have to start with a fun question. We noticed that you lived Mm -hmm. in the UK for about four years. What was one of the favorite things um, that you experienced living there? And what was your favorite UK (laughs) food? Well, I lived on the coast. I lived in Brighton. It was so beautiful. And so, I mean, I I just just felt so fortunate to be living there and working there. And so... I think my favorite food is the crumpet. If if we're just, it's simple, cheap, and <laughs> totally delicious. You know, so, <laughs> so I guess that's a that's simple a simple answer for me. Maybe a little embarrassing. In no. <laughs> no, 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 I would, I would totally own that one. <laughs> so, Sarah, can you give us an elevator pitch on your work? Sure, sure. So, <laughs> so I'm an artist. Who makes books? Most people don't know um, that book arts even exists, I guess it's possible. Um, so I try to explain things by saying that, you know, some artists, you know, they they might make prints, they might be printmakers, they make things that hang on a wall, or they make videos or whatever they do. I make books. So my books are works of art, but their content is research driven. So I do a lot of research before I make a book. My books have ranged in their subject matter from data visualization to urban planning um, to kind of personal collections. And all of my projects have in common a kind of attempt to take a topic and then reframe it to ask new questions or challenge that topic in some way. So that's that's what I do. I make those books. I design them, I letterpress print them usually, and then I bind them, and then they end up in libraries and special collections, and sometimes I collaborate with people in other fields, so that's kind of my jam. Wow, that's cool. So, to break this down for people, you're not talking about making a book that's mass-produced that we can buy from Amazon. I'm talking talking about about making making 50 copies of a book. So I make very small editions, but they are editions. So they're identical copies of the same book. So a book cycle might take me about two years. So from starting to think about what I want to make the book about to researching that topic and talking to experts and then sort of translating it into a sort of creative endeavor. So not everything is the right topic for a book. Some things are too broad. Some things are um, not complicated enough. You have a lot to think about when you're making a series of spreads. And a lot of my work is, a lot of the books are very visual. So there's some text, but there's, there's, um, there's mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. imagery that I uh, print using kind of traditional printmaking and letterpress techniques. So if you had to come up with a headline for one of your more interesting pieces of work, what would that be? Or it could be. Okay, a, how about a, this? A, how about this? A title. Uh, a book made of cement and glass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. Okay. Good. Now you're going to have to elaborate so, on so that. So one of my more recent projects that um, I was working on here 
uh, is called The Radiant Republic. And it's a book about urban planning and ethics. And I, I basically took um, two texts, Plato's Republic and Le Corbusier, 20th century architect. He wrote a text called The Radiant City. Um, both of these texts are talking about uh, using city building as a way to talk about ethics and sort of forced morality. So it's kind of like kind of weird subject matter. And so I mashed them together. I like exerted text and recombined it to make this narrative about city building. And because the project was about architecture and because, especially because Le Corbusier, you know, was, um, you know, building using a lot of uh, glass, concrete, that kind of stuff. I decided I wanted to use those elements to create an enclosure for this text. So I printed mm -hmm. the text on paper um, and then I bound it up. But then I made this box that has cast cement platonic solids, which is something that both Plato and Le Corbusier were interested in, and then a pane of glass that the book would sit on top of in this wooden box. So I wanted to, I did 50 copies of this book. It almost mm -hmm. killed me really, but the, 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 the project, I really wanted it to be architectural. I wanted to use these materials that were referencing the subject matter um, in some way. So that is that book. And I should say my, my I, I print these books under the name Big Jump Press. So much easier to understand what I'm talking about when people can see images of what I'm doing. Um, it's a very visual thing. Uh, and all of those things can be found on bigjumppress.com. So if people are interested in what on earth I'm talking about, they can find pictures there. Wow. That is, that's fascinating. That is really how did fascinating. You get, how did you get to, uh, to this work? How did you get started? Well, you know, with, with every book, I start um, I start just by taking note of what I am interested in, right? Like what catches my attention. So, and all my books are so different. You know, I, this is the first time I've done a book about architecture. And I have to say, I always try and speak to as many people. You know, I, I talk to people at the University of Alabama who were uh, working in philosophy. I talked to a friend who's in architecture at Hobart William Smith to make sure that I was on the right track. So there's a lot of conversations that happen to make sure that I'm on the right track. If I'm not directly collaborating with somebody, you know, which I also mm -hmm. do, I wanna make sure that I'm at least informing myself by speaking to people who know more than I do about the subject matter that I've chosen. So this book was really a project that I started after the election in 2016. So I just moved to the US from the UK. And in the UK, I, I had been there during the Brexit vote, which was um, for us a, de mm -hmm. a devastating vote. So we were, you know, feeling very sad about that. And then we came to the US and we had kind of a similar <laughs> experience. So we had <laughs> We, it was like a bumpy entry, you know, uh, so we, I guess I was thinking a lot about the way that tr what is like truth and how can you manipulate truth? If it's manipulated, is it still truth? You know, all the, I was thinking about all those kinds of things. I was thinking about what is, mm -hmm. what different people consider to be an ideal society and what that means uh, and who we're listening to about that. And mm -hmm. so I started by making these platonic solid shapes because Platonic solids are considered to be, by many, this kind of um, example of perfection of form. And so something about that seemed to me to be related to this idea of an ideal. 
but you can't make a perfect object. So there's all these people who are downloading templates of platonic solids and making them and they're, you know, but, but it's, you can't make something mm -hmm. that's perfect. You can't build a perfect city. You can't design a perfect society. So these were the things that I was kind of thinking about. The platonic solids led me to Plato who mm -hmm. wrote about them in Timaeus, which was one of his dialogues. And that led me to just the idea of, well, into more Plato, reading about the city, thinking about the city that took me to architecture, that took me to Le Corbusier. So I'm, I kind of go on a long meandering trip during the design phase. And then I, all through that time, I'm kind of making and discarding and speaking to people and making some more and discarding. And so it's just this long kind of iterative process that uh, takes me from kind of a, a pile of debris that I'm sort of interested in to a fully thought out piece of work that I can then addition. So what's the actual process? Are you selecting paper stock? Are you designing covers? Can you tell us just a little bit more? Um, and you've done this to a degree, but can you just do a deeper yeah, dive so, into the method so I'm that designing you use the for this? Project, and I'm using my own skills to produce the whole project. So I um, when I'm in the design stage, one of the important things to consider in addition to like what this, what is the conceptual foundation of the project is also like, how do I choose materials that amplify that content? You know, so for me, uh, for this book, as I mm -hmm. mentioned already, I was selecting these materials, glass, cement, um, wood, but also um, handmade flax paper, because that kind of wrap, I could fold it and score it into these patterns that were very architectural. It makes a particular sound. So I'm really trying to think very deeply about the materials throughout the design. Then comes the printing. Once the design is resolved, I can get on the press. And so I am um, printing using uh, letterpress equipment. So it's, it's just me on a press. Sometimes I'm carving imagery out of linoleum or wood. Sometimes I'm setting the type digitally and making a printing plate, you know, using a photosensitive plastic material. Sometimes I set metal type, which is kind of a traditional letterpress method. So I'm using all of these very, um, well, traditional, but contemporary, you know, we, we can take digital imagery and translate it and, and print it letterpress. So that's the printing side. And then I'm binding it myself. So I'm, you know, had some assistance from a, wow. a person who has a laser cutter who has a business laser cutting for artists. So she helped me laser cut the wood for the box. But then I'm putting the box together and sanding the box and oiling the box and, you know, building these molds to cast the cement. And, you know, every box has nine cement forms. I'm casting all these things 50 times. And that, you know, so it's very, very, very process driven, the work that I do. So you have to love it. <laughs> you have to really want to make this work. Um, so that, that, I hope that sort of explains a little bit about what kind of processes are involved in this kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to ask maybe a stupid question, but, you know, the title of our there podcast are no stupid here. Questions. No, no, there are no stupid questions. Can, there are no can you questions. read the books or are they, oh, yeah. you know, put behind glass and, and meant to look at? It is. It's so complicated, right, for, for book artists and for people who are, um, you know, acquiring these books because you're right. I mean, it's hard to read a book because sometimes, you know, these books go to lots of exhibitions and stuff. And then, yeah, they're behind glass. It's like, how do you 
what is the point really, you know, of that? But, but there are some exhibitions where they are able to be handled whenever there is an opportunity for them to be handled. I always say, yes, you may handle this. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're expensive books, but I want people to touch them and feel and read them. I also Mm -hmm. have videos that I make of Mm -hmm. me reading the text in, um, you know, with imagery from the book to help people understand what the project is if they can touch the project. And I mm-hmm. also make prints. So I make some kind of smaller versions of the book that I can, you know, get out there for a lower cost so that it's not mm-hmm. just like libraries and museums that can collect them, but individuals. So I try to find ways for people to mm-hmm. read them. Not and, and when they when they do land in libraries, often university libraries, I hear from the special collections librarians that they are bringing classes in that handle them and read them. So they they are being accessed, but there's always a question when you're making this kind of work of how um, how to get them into people's hands when it's such a laborious process with such a small edition. And another thing that I'm interested in eventually, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like there's always too many things to do and too many things <laughs> to be interested in. But I, I'd like to, you know, find a way <laughs> to uh, produce more um, kind of tangential digital content you know, that relates back to the book project. So there are book artists out there who are really exploring that boundary of the kind of the artist book and then the digital artist book and using technologies to create um, augmented reality artist books and all kinds of interesting things are going on. So I'd be interested, my process is very different, but I'd be interested in finding ways to really take the project and, and, uh, as a core and then blow it out into a place where more people can experience what I'm trying to do. Mm. So I have to ask this, you're a scholar, mm-hmm. but you're also a professor. So how do you go about teaching what you do to students? Because it sounds so individualistic and that it, you know, it can take so many different paths what what do you do in the classroom with students who are interested so it depends in, in on this what type I'm, of work? Um, what the class is, right? All of my students currently are graduate students. So they've all come to the University of Alabama to study, to deeply, deeply study how to make books by hand. So my colleagues, Anna Embry, who teaches most of the mm-hmm. binding courses, and Kyle Holland, who teaches um, the paper making courses and, and, and also dips into binding and printing, and myself, and I teach um, primarily in the kind of letterpress artist book kind of zone, but we all move kind of freely between the, the, sub, the subjects. So what I'm trying to do first, and it's a balance, I'm trying to train these students in these very specific hand skills, you know, press mm-hmm. operation, book binding. Mm-hmm. But I'm but I am also trying to um, inculcate a kind of appreciation for the way that these things work together, how to create a book where you are um, creating a cohesive book. So you're thinking about the structure, you're thinking about your content and your your concept, and you're thinking about how your printing methods and your binding methods kind of inform what you're doing. And pr- primarily, one of the most important things mm-hmm. I teach my students, or I hope I teach my students, is that you cannot just like design a book and print the book without um, a long process of 
making and discarding. Like you can't, mm. you're never going to like design something. And the first thing you do is going to be the thing mm-hmm. that you're going to want to move ahead with. There's a lot of experimentation that you have to do to make sure that what, that you're making an intelligent project. But I'm also teaching students um, who don't necessarily want to be doing artist books the way that I do. Some of them are more interested in fine press, you know, taking, mm-hmm. uh, working with authors, poets, artists to, mm-hmm. to create books using content that already exists. And so then we're talking more about typography and the kinds of choices that you make and what, so there's, there's just, there's a, there's a lot to dig into with book art, you know, and, um, and I'm only one part of the triangle of faculty trying to talk to these students about these issues. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a pleasure because most of the students who come to see us are, you know, they've, they've made this commitment to spend three years studying so they're um they're very dedicated and their work is 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 beautiful so i I feel very privileged to be a teacher and i like teaching very much so it all you know these things work together and teaching the students helps me in my own work because then i'm you know i'm i'm forced to if a student has a particular problem i need to dig deep and figure out how to solve sometimes it's a solution that i don't really know and so then i can take that back to my own work so it, it it's um energizing Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, all of these decisions that go into the work that you create, um, you know, in, in a typical um, kind of academic research, we, we go through the publishing process of revising and resubmitting mm-hmm. and <laughs> reviewer number two is <laughs> the problem, but you go through uh, jury processes mm-hmm. and you are a juror of mm-hmm. other works. How does that, um, can you, can you describe that process? Sure. So the way that I kind of, I guess that there's sort of three stages of the work and one is like the design, which is very, you know, intensive. Then there's the production and then there's the dissemination. So where is it going to go? You know, what kind of places is my work mm-hmm. going? So there, mm-hmm. the first First, they they are um, they end up in special collections libraries. So that's a kind of review process. You know, the the libraries have a limited budget, and so they have to determine which books they think will be best um, in these very specific collections. And some of the collections are quite fun. For example, I have work at the UCLA Biomedical Library. You know, what? they have yeah, they, so they have. <laughs> I did, I've done a couple of books where, you know, wow. I'm very interested in the intersection of the arts and the sciences. So I've done a couple of projects that are um, kind of hovering around in that zone. And so it's, it's fun to see where you land. I have a book in the Yale collection of books on color. So there are different places where um, my books go just in terms of libraries because they're perceived to kind of benefit that collection in some way. So that's one way. The other is that they end up in, in juried exhibitions or mm-hmm. uh, invitational exhibitions that are, that are curated. So in both of those mm-hmm. situations, I'm either submitting to a jury um, a book project or a couple of book projects. And then that goes through a kind of review and a certain number of the entries are accepted and then they're exhibited, you know, in a place so that, and then there's a series of maybe prizes for some of that work. So, Mm -hmm. so that's one way. And I think that that's probably the closest parallel to the kind of journal article, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to find, I mean, I'm an artist, right? So there, 
my work is different from the majority mm-hmm. of my colleagues within the College of Communication, just in terms of what I'm making and where it's going. But but there are still, um, you know, standards and review processes that, you know, can indicate to me that a work is successful or unsuccessful. Um, and then there are uh, certain exhibitions where I am invited by a curator, you know, who is designing an exhibition. Um, and so that's kind of less of a... Um, less of a juried process, juried application process, but still kind of a, um, you know, a, a pres- it might be a prestigious exhibition that travels around the United States or whatever it is. So, so I think that kind of sums up um, at least some of where my books go. And then there's also opportunities where I, you know, I have to apply to be representing my work at certain book symposiums or whatever it is. So there, there are just a number of different ways that I try and get my work out into the universe. So are there ways that your work contributes? I hope to so. I mean, there's some, I've done a number of projects in the last few years that are directly responding to things that have been going on. So I printed th- two books in the last three years um, to raise money for the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. These are like not the kind of full scale uh Mm-hmm. books like the one I was describing earlier, but more, you know, some books can be quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the point is not mm-hmm. to laboriously mm-hmm. agonize over the conceptual foundation, but rather to support social justice, you know, organizations. And so in those instances, it's more of a like, how can I contribute? How can I use my skills to like fundraise or raise awareness? And um, this summer, I, I produced a book um, that I hope was helpful immediately following the murder of, of George Floyd. I designed a book project that's basically a template that anybody can download and make and distribute within their community or sell to raise money for social justice in their community. So I'm trying to find ways to just um, wow. to use what I have, you know, mm. and, you know, so it, it would, and I, and uh-huh. I hope those things are, I hope those things are doing what I want them to do, which is to, you know, put put the money in the places where it can do the most good. Um, and then there's smaller things after the mm-hmm. um, when DACA first came under threat, uh, you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Um, you know, I was just printing postcards that people could send to their representatives. But all these things oh. are kind of my per- personal thing or my own things. And I'm looking for ways to incorporate this kind of activity a little bit more into my curriculum, but I, but right now, of course, my curriculum is, is, uh, in a muddle because of the COVID-19, <laughs> you know, it's hard. We're such, we're so equipment dependent <laughs> and we're in tight quarters. So finding mm-hmm. ways to navigate that while still enabling students to access the presses and produce projects, I'm having to kind of make some, some, uh, I don't know. This is another topic. But anyway, I am I, hopeful that I can continue to um, produce my own projects that are, you know, contributing in some ways to social justice. But also I, I'm, I'm optimistic that I'll be able to incorporate more students into that work eventually. Well, and I was going to ask, I mean, I, I have you have given mm-hmm. me a tour um, mm-hmm. of your space and it is quite equipment heavy. Um, yes. So. Heavy is the... you have the same thing at home? Um... Well, I, 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 always, 
I own a printing press, but I have not moved it down like a fool because ah. I had access to all these presses. So, of course, the first thing that happened in March was that I, I lost my access to the presses. And I thought, why didn't I move my press down here? You know, I guess I was just waiting to see if like the if I could get the, it into the basement or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but I have, I have all the binding equipment that I need. I have a studio in my basement downstairs and I do have a press that I am now really planning on moving down. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't have exactly what I need. So things had to go on hold. And of course the students, they all had to stop. They, we were just on the edge of all of my students in, in the two letterpress classes I was teaching last semester. They were all about to print their books like they designed their books they'd gotten the paper they cut it down and they were they if they hadn't started to print they were ready to print Mm -hmm. that was what was going to happen after spring break and then of course everybody had to um, stop and we had to refocus Mm -hmm. on something else so yeah in a bit it's been a puzzle you know Mm -hmm. yeah wow so one final question for you and hopefully it's it's a fun one as academics, we have the good fortune of being able to travel to different countries or different cities around the United States to present our work. What's one of the favorite places you have visited to present your work or that you're well, looking forward to? Well, I've been visiting? really lucky um, as a part of the university and as a part of the Book Arts program to go to Havana, uh, I think maybe five times now. Oh, um, wow. To work on projects with Cuban mm-hmm. artists and mm-hmm. um, poets. This is something that was initiated long before I was here by Steve Miller and Anna Embry. Um, There are uh, many books that they've Mm -hmm. produced under the name Parallel Editions that they work on with Cuban artists and poets and students in the program. And so um, it's it's immensely rewarding to be able to go and and work with these with these artists. And so that, in fact, one of the sad things about last semester, not to be mourning last semester so much because I'm looking forward to the fall and things are going to be good. But, but we, uh, we had to, we were on, the, we were about to go to Havana. We had two books in production with two different artists and a poet and oh my had, goodness. You know, students who are ready to go down. And we were very excited and, and that all had to be put on hold, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, so we're looking forward to, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, finish printing those books this fall and maybe into the spring. And then we're hopeful that eventually, you know, we'll be able to get back down there and take our students down. So, but, but those trips to Havana have just been mm-hmm. um, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So I feel very lucky, you know, and again, it's the, it's the work of the, the, the building yeah. before I came here. So I, I am, I'm fortunate to kind of inherit this relationship with this um with the Taier Experimental de Grafica in Havana um and I do before we you know say goodbye I do want to yeah. say I I um I'm very boohoo yeah. about how things ended last semester for <laughs> my students but we're doing things this <laughs> coming semester we're like using this time in a positive way you know so I we're we're looking forward to getting the students back on the press but we're also looking forward to teaching them some really useful processes for when you don't have access to right press. you know I'm I'm gonna go uh I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely doing letterpress with my students in the fall but we're also going deep into digital typography and different ways that you can approach um printing so so we're we're moving ahead and yeah you know we've got our best foot forward for the book arts so that's great Mm -hmm. 
Well, Sarah, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today and learning more about the work that you do. It is truly fascinating. And this thank has you. been very, very enjoyed- fun. So thank you. Bye. All right. Bye, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us today in our conversation with Sarah Bryant. I have to admit, I learned a lot today and I truly never fully appreciated how much time and thought and work and effort goes into the creation of a book. Next week is election week. And so we're gonna be talking to one of our political communication scholars all about the election and the way politics can play a role in relationships. This is really going to be a fun one. Thank you so much for joining us this week and every week. And if you don't mind, please leave us a rating because it helps other listeners find the podcast. See you next week.